when you go to meetings, when you engage with customers, when you talk with other stakeholders internally, constantly be thinking about where there's opportunities. So I will give a shout out actually to, um, I was fortunate enough to grow up with a couple business leaders as parents and uh, being an only child, I, I soaked up, um, you know, all kinds of business expertise from them. And that gave me some of that entrepreneurial mindset. Welcome to the Change Agent Podcast. My name is Nathan Lesnowski. I'm Concurrency's Chief Technology Officer. Welcome to the show. This is the show where we talk about change agents that are transforming the technology market that they're in. They're executing on business transformation, technology transformation. They're bringing substantial amounts of intuition and capability to their companies. One of the conversations we had, we were talking about companies that are changing payment industries. Another, we talked about healthcare, management, development, all areas where companies are needing change agents to come to the table, to think about problems differently, bring technology to a business problem and change the way the business thinks about itself. Today is no different. We have a great guest on the program today. Today we have the Director of Strategy and Analytics for Masterlock, Dustin Schimmick. Dustin's been involved in the analytics space for a long time. He's really active in the community, does a lot of work with thinking about what it means to be in analytics, how you transform a company, and how you get started. So we're going to have a great conversation today. And I'll welcome to the program, Dustin. Hey, Nathan. Hey, it's awesome to be here. I just love the concept of this show and um, I love everything about um, change agents and being a change agent myself. Um, so super excited to be here and I'm definitely honored to join the list of guests. I took a look at everyone you've had on in the past and super, super honored to be a part of that list. Awesome. Well, we're glad you're here. And a, and a common Packer fan is on the show, maybe for the first time. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. I think. You yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm jealous because we were talking before the show about you being a season ticket holder. And the best that I can uh, you know, claim is that I have a dashboard out on Tableau Public that I update every year. I've actually been updating it every year since my son was born. Uh, because, of course, when he was born, I followed the same tradition that other Wisconsinites often do and that I put him on the season ticket waiting list. And so I thought, gosh, it'd be fun to create a visualization. Um, kind of of the pace um, towards when we would get tickets. And I think right now he's been on the, the wait list for a little over six years and uh, we're pacing to get tickets by, I think it was 2083 uh, as of the last update, which was just a couple of weeks ago when I got the latest update from the, the Packers organization of where we were on the waiting list. So it hasn't moved a whole lot. Um, we'll see what happens in the, the future here, but I think I'd be a little over a hundred years old when we get them. So hopefully my son gets them, but I don't, I'm not so sure about me. Maybe you can live <laughs> to see that day. The crowning yeah. moment. You of never know. Life. life expectancy hopefully continues to go up. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, talk talking about analytics. Um, let's let's just open up the open up the idea about what it means to grow a career in analytics. Like what 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 got you started? What do you think about those first steps as you start moving into that space? Yeah, that's a great question. And I know one that a lot of folks are asking, um, you know, nowadays, um, how I really got into it was uh, I took an analyst position, kind of an entry level analyst position, um, maybe a lesser position than maybe I could have gotten when I finished my MBA. But I took a position that was interesting to me. And it was interesting to me because I thought there would be an opportunity to kind of be an entrepreneur in the position. I heard a little bit about the company and the things they were doing with data. And I thought, gosh, 
you know, they're probably going to task me with quite a bit of stuff when I come in. But it sounds like, you know, based upon where they're at in their journey and what they're working on, that there's going to be an opportunity for me to take. Um, I've always had kind of this entrepreneurial mindset to take that entrepreneurial lens, take a look at the landscape of projects that they have and opportunities that they have once I spend a few months in the company and then kind of use my skills, my technical skills to maybe build some solutions that help solve those challenges that they have. And so um, for me, it was just really, um, you know, I, I was interested in analytics, but analytics wasn't as big of a field at the time. Um, I was more interested in being an entrepreneur. And I think there's a big opportunity, probably more so even now today than there was 10 years ago, um, to use those two things together to create huge value for an organization, being strong technically, strong with analytics, but then also having that entrepreneurial mindset. Tell me a little bit about what it means to be entrepreneurial. I love the I love the idea of like I got an MBA. I should be doing something more than this. And you think, oh, I'm going to take this analytics position, combine that with what I've learned from an MBA. What is right. a lot of people throw around the term entrepreneurial mindset? What does that mean to you in the data space? Yeah, that's a great question. You know what it means to me is first first off, and this is kind of counterintuitive if you're in a technical field or in the analytics field, but it's setting the technology. Um, and your analytical skills aside for a moment. And when you go to meetings, when you engage with customers, when you talk with other stakeholders internally, constantly be thinking about where there's opportunities. Um, you know, where are there kind of um, things that you see that if you could solve for this, you know, fill in the blank, whatever this is, gosh, if we could only solve for that, that'd be totally game changing for my organization, for your organization. And then think about, okay, now that we know that there's this gap, there's this opportunity to solve for, now go to your technical skills and your analytical skills and think about how can you use data, how can you use technology, how can you use tools, um, you know, to meet those needs, to solve that problem. And then um, when you're able to kind of develop a little proof of concept, I would say block some time to develop a little proof of concept that you can show back to stakeholders in your organization of how you could solve for that using your technical skills, tools, et cetera. Um, and then um, once you're able to kind of prove that value out, um, you know, then maybe the organization comes back to you and says, hey, we want to give you a little more latitude to build on that. And maybe, you you know, you're able to do a full project around it. That was the approach that I took. And, and over time, over the course of my career, I've gotten to the point where, you know, I started out being given projects, took that approach of kind of developing proof of concepts, doing a little entrepreneurial project here and there to now, um, you know, my whole role is basically based on that. You know, I was able to prove out enough value where I was I ended up with a position where that's what I do. I, I manage a portfolio of kind of growth oriented analytics projects, and it's up to me to develop that roadmap. So mm -hmm. um, by investing a little bit of time up front, identifying those projects, maybe working a little extra to develop those proof of concepts, even if you haven't been tasked with it. You know, I think that's where you're going to open the door for yourself and probably move up um, pretty quickly in your organization, but also win-win, add value back to your organization pretty quickly too, much more so than if you just took what was given to you. I really believe people are hired as analysts for a reason because they have expertise that oftentimes even their superiors don't have. And so I definitely think it's actually um, something we're responsible for doing as analytics professionals is bringing our expertise forward to expose kind of those um, opportunities that there are to use our skills to uh, just advance our organization. Yeah, it's really the difference between being an order taker and being a change agent, right? Absolutely. Like just sitting there like, all right, you guys tell me what I need to do. Oh, I need to create this report. Okay, I'll create this report for you. 
blah, 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 right? Instead of right. what if I did this and creating a mock-up and bringing it before someone who would benefit from that. And they go, whoa, like that was not what I was expecting you to be able to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like that, that really represents the difference in really change agent type analytics people, people who like think about the business as a whole. And that's, that's really where your MBA is a credit to you, right? Correct. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it's not to say that you have to have an MBA. I mean, I think um, folks, you know, can develop uh, whether they, regardless of what education they have, regardless of whether they think of themselves as a business person or entrepreneurial person, I think they can develop this skill, you know, and the first thing that I always tell people is to just, um, if you want to be an entrepreneur, just open your ears up a little bit, open your eyes up a little bit and just approach meetings or conversations a little bit differently. Just be um, scanning. I mean, of course, you have to come to the meeting prepared, the discussion prepared for whatever it is you have to put forward yourself, but be scanning around for opportunities. And then when you see them, write them down, because usually we forget things if we don't write it down. Things don't happen if we don't write it down. So keep a journal of those opportunities. And then when you have time, go back to it and kind of force rank your ideas. And then maybe you develop a proof or concept or two out of the first couple that are on there. Got it. What's the process once you've identified that opportunity? So you've yeah. you've been listening, right? You've been doing more than order taking. You've been listening. You found that opportunity. You mocked it up. You even put it before people. They think it's exciting. What's the process after that to take ideas forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, from my experience, um, you know, taking a scrappy approach to building out an analytics um, project, you know, can only get you so far. Um, it, it, it can kind of get you over an important hurdle and that is proving out the value of it. But then to your question, you have to be able to scale oftentimes that concept across the entire organization or to a broader group of folks. And usually that scrappy approach that you took gathering all the data yourself, haphazardly cleaning it up, you know, building some views, sharing that out. Usually that's not a sustainable, scalable model in a large organization. And so, um, what I've done is, um, once I've gotten excitement, from the business that's always my first goal is to get excitement in the business um, and with some of the key folks on the the business side i'm very much a front-end person i've been on the front end of the business in every role that i've been in um but there's also an extremely critical component here um within you know what's oftentimes in the it side of the business you know the bi teams um developers things like that once i get excitement on the, on the businesses i'll start to articulate what it would take or what my perception is it would take um, to help build out a better infrastructure that would support scalability behind the project. Um, and usually it's much easier to go and ask for some resources um, on the you know IT side of the business or from an outside firm or whatever to um, do what's necessary to scale up that project once you have that excitement in the business. Getting that excitement is usually the first step. Then it's putting the pieces in place to get a good foundation um, laid to scale. But the thing that I've oftentimes seen is the the reverse is actually folks going for, you know, all of the spend and getting all the work done before building the excitement. Mm. Um, and and to me, that just hasn't been um, the most effective model. I think it can be in some cases, but to me, it, it hasn't been the most effective. Yeah, I think you I think you totally hit on something there, which is that without the excitement, it's difficult to get the forward movement and to drive the commoditization of the usage of analytics. Right. 
And so many companies, they start with the back end first. They start with like, well, as a build it, you will come, they will come sort of thing. I'm going to create this cloud data environment over the course of a year. And then eventually I'll release it and people are all going to love it. And what ends up happening is that just takes so long to bring to market versus starting front end, getting excitement, right? And getting them into the, yeah. I agree. Um, In that same picture, you know, of creating the excitement, you mentioned something that was interesting, the sort of scrappiness, right? Mm -hmm. Like that Mm -hmm. the scrappiness got it off the ground, but then there is a certain degree of, okay, cool. Like you were scrappy. You got this, this scorecard together and it shows something, but then there's Mm -hmm. a trust, right? There's a trust behind that. How do you build, how do you build the right process to facilitate the trust they need in the platform and the data? Yeah, I know. That's a great question. And so, um, you know, as I start to roll out, even if it's a proof of concept or kind of a fuller scale solution, you know, as I do these things, I think about what a very intentional plan would be to start to socialize some of the insights that are seen from it or the functionality within it. Um, And I usually take an approach where, um, again, same thing really for the proof of concept as well as, you know, a full scale solution is I'll set up, I try to keep um, training um, sessions as individualized as I possibly can, but I'll try to get with every key stakeholder one-on-one or maybe one-on-two. If it's one-on-two, I'll try to have their manager included um, and I'll try to talk to their manager um, ahead of time to make sure that we're aligned on what we're talking about. But I'll usually have an agenda that's divided into three c- components. So kind of three goals to the uh, that time that I spend with the key stakeholders that I'm sharing this with. Um, and so the first part is always um, centered around why would we do something like this? Why would we even create a project like this? Um, and I'd like to have some really um, solid reasons for why we would do that you know, kind of get the person to the point where, you know, absolutely, they're nodding their head. It's like, yeah, you'd be crazy not to not to create something like this, right? And then the second and third pieces of the agenda kind of um, can rotate. Um, sometimes the second uh, will be the second, sometimes it will be the third, but uh, depending on what it is we're rolling out. But um, I'll usually do a little bit of training on functionality, and but I will keep that functionality training to the bare minimum, um, which again, sometimes counterintuitive because um, sometimes folks think, I think, you know, okay, I've got this time with this person. I got to pack it all in, you know, but I think when you try to pack too much in, actually you get um, small returns from that because folks just don't um, have the propensity to absorb, you know, a ton of information within a short period of time. So I try to keep it to the bare minimum um, just to get them started. And then the third section, which again, could be the second, depending on what it is we're rolling out. But um, I like to give them some examples and I like to give them examples that are very, um, uh, that resonate with them. They're personal to them. So um, as an example, if I'm training a salesperson on a new analytical tool or dashboard or whatever that we rolled out, you know, I'll take a look. If I don't know them, I'll take a look at their LinkedIn profile or do some research on them and try to think of some examples. Um, if I'm navigating their sales territory in the analytical tool, as an example, and I know they went to college somewhere within their territory, you know, I'll try to tie in some example with that or something to make it personal and also something that would make it um, enticing for them to do for a business reason. So like, um, you know, hey, perhaps if you engaged with this customer that's down the street from you, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's my street, you know, like everyone knows where they live, right? Like, um, you know, gosh, I could sell them products A, B, and C, you know, from what your research shows, it shows that a a customer like that you know, likes to buy product A, B, and C, mm-hmm. who wouldn't like to do that, right? Business people like to to um, grow their revenue. And so um, I like to come up with some really good examples that are kind of no-brainers. Of course, they would want to do it. And then also that are personal to them. 
So that's kind of the approach I take, and it, it can be time consuming, um, but th this is an activity that I think really pays dividends long long term. It enables kind of that exponential ramp up. You know, if you train people the right way, engage them in what you've deployed, you know, that's where I think you get the full realization and then some of the return on a project. When you do nothing, you know, that's when I think we see some of these complete failures and no return on massive projects and stuff like that. Right. Well, it answers the so what, who cares part of the equation, right? Yep, exactly. When you think about getting that adoption broadly, you know, what are the tricks or the trade associated with not, you know, there's a lot of, you're talking a lot about like investment in one-on-one, -on -one, right? One-on-one, one-on-one, one-on-one. I'm making sure you specifically are getting the kind of training and understanding that you need to get Correct. on a broader basis. Yep. How do you, how do you scale that? Right. Are you scaling yep. it with like even scaling the one-on-ones or are you scaling it with broader training sessions? Like what's, what's the approach that you think is most successful there? Great, great question. And so I would say where the scaling comes in is, um, or where it's easier to scale is, um, with alignment and adoption that is around, you know, the use cases for how it will be used, um, by the team members or the folks that are using it. Um, and usually that comes at the manager level or the manager's manager. And so what I'll do is I'll try to get that buy-in at each level that's necessary as to, you know, hey, what are some examples of use cases that we would want the users that report to you, you know, using this? Or what would those look like? Get alignment on that. Um, and then also alignment on some not I, I don't usually like to jump straight towards like the ultimate end KPI of what we would like to have. So if we're using sales, if, if, if the goal is to, to generate more sales, as an example, I don't like to, to go to the managers of the folks I'm training and say, hey, let's set this goal for X dollars for this year that this person is going to get that out of this. You know, I don't like to start there. Um, I like to, again, you know, like I said, I'd like to get some buy-in on how they're going to use it, what some of the examples are of how they're going to use it, get them using it. And what we'll do is measure um, their usage of the tool and not in a punitive manner, but just make sure that we're measuring who's using what. So literally looking at how much time they're spending, what they're looking at, things like that. And then if we have folks that aren't using it, that's a conversation where their manager can go to them and say, hey, you know, again, not in a punitive manner, but, you know, kind of ask some questions, get curious, like, you know, how's it been going using this tool that we just deployed? You know, did you know that we could do this, this or this with it? And nine times out of 10, the adoption will go up there. Then the next step is to kind of think about, okay, what are some softer targets or KPIs that we could, could put in place that will, um, you know, incentivize the folks to engage in behaviors that will lead to that ultimate outcome. So if it's, if boosting sales is the ultimate outcome, you know, how can we measure things such as, you know, the number of leads that we touch, the number of activities we have with customers, um, things like this that are ultimately going to put the individuals on a path towards, um, you know, a sales target or whatever. And then we can put some harder targets in place once we get down the road, once we start getting that um, usage up. Once we start getting the KPIs pretty solid on the things that lead to a positive outcome, then we can start measuring the ultimate outcome. Uh, but this is usually the approach I take, and I like to get alignment with the managers first, because then when we do those one-on-ones, when the managers can chime in with some examples of how to use it or how we're going to you know, be measuring them or whatever, that saves me. It's like it's like five minutes of manager telling you know the individual that is like five to 10 hours of me telling them that. Uh, that makes tons of sense. Yeah. Do you think that there's a there's like a key mistake that 
organizations should avoid as they're trying to get that adoption? Like, is there something that you've seen companies do that just doesn't work? Um, for me, it's the like, build the whole thing and hope that people adopt it sort of problem. Um, but is there like yeah. something for you that's on that same line? Yeah, it's it, no, I would say the exact same thing, uh, Nathan, as what you just said. It really is focusing on the technical project, the technical work, getting everything perfect. You know, per perfection can really be an enemy, um, especially with with projects that are meant to kind of change behavior, move the needle, you know, are growth orientated or cost saving, whatever. Um, getting everything perfect post deployment and then deploying it with you know, very little thought put into the process of how it's going to be used, how folks are going to, you know, become engaged with using it, get excited about it, um, you know, and what use cases they're going to have and getting, you know, total alignment from uh, executive leadership down to the individual using it. These things are just as important, in some cases, maybe more important um, than the technical work uh, itself. And so I think um, the biggest mistake that that folks make is assuming that, you know, I have heard a comment over the course of my career on certainly more than one occasion of, you know, um, when I start talking about this importance of all this process work, sometimes folks will say, you know, Dustin, I don't think you're going to have to tell them why it's important. I, they're professionals. They'll get it, you know, and that I think is a big mistake. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big mistake because even if people ought to get it, you know, we're spending so much time and money oftentimes on these projects that it's not worth the risk of leaving that to chance. Yeah, it makes total sense. So, you know, as you start to go up this adoption curve, companies are going from platform to analytics to understanding the data that they have to making decisions based upon what they're seeing from their data and then steps beyond that starts to be where the data tells them what to do and to a degree right. right where it's predicting what the outcome could be if you made a certain type of choice and saying prescriptively you should do this yep. what's what's been your experience with making that next jump and when do you make it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, in terms of the timing of when to enable folks with the ability to make that jump, you know, it's it's really when um, I mentioned this kind of crawl, walk, run approach where I'll give folks training on kind of the bare, you know, necessities and then kind of let their usage of whatever we create ramp up organically over time. And as that happens, what tends to happen is folks will come back to me and say, Dustin, you showed me this functionality or this example, but couldn't we do X, Y, or Z? Or like, are you thinking about, you know, uh, D, E, or F, you know? And sometimes I haven't thought about the thing. Sometimes you get some pretty interesting recommendations back. I mean, I, in fact, I never know what I'm gonna get when I publish new things out, but then, you know, there is a strong percentage of the time where there are things that quite honestly you thought about um, before you pushed it out there, or maybe the capabilities exist, you just haven't showed them to the, to the folks yet. Um, but I like to wait for them to start asking those types of questions because then I know, okay, if there's something that they think I didn't give them, this means they're ready for more. And so um, with some of the larger projects that I've implemented over the course of my career, um, you know, we're getting to the point where I've observed that folks are starting to ask for some of you use the word, you know, predictive capabilities and, and um, you know, prescriptive capabilities. And so um, what I think is that when you let when you do take a crawl, walk, run approach, you start with descriptive diagnostic and then you get to that point where folks are starting to get interested enough in predictive and prescriptive that's the time where you start to push some of that stuff out and hopefully you've laid a good enough foundation where from a technical standpoint it's a very short leap 
to make. Mm -hmm. Um, And probably from a, you know, change management perspective, it'll be a smaller leap than it would have been if you would have rolled that out in the beginning. Because folks have more of a palette for it, they're more comfortable with kind of the foundation and the base data points that are available. Uh, I still think that um, just based upon my observation, you know, recently, I think there's going to be a little bit of effort you know, that's going to have to be put in kind of following that intentionality that I described earlier in terms of training folks, just explaining to them how, um, you know, predictions could help them, stuff like that. I think there's a little bit of transformational management that'll be needed, even if folks are asking for it, you know, just in terms of how to think about it. Uh, But I think just um, letting the projects, you know, evolve over time naturally and, and do such a good job at each level with laying such a good foundation that folks come back and ask for things. And then it's going to be a much smaller barrier to get to that next level with the more advanced stuff. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up, especially the IT, the idea of crawl, walk, run, because so many companies, I feel like when they get too predictive, sometimes they go there a little too fast and they may have created a model that actually shows them exactly what they want to see, but they don't trust the data underneath it because they hadn't been walking first, right? Like, they, they're trying to run and they don't trust the trail they're running on is like groomed and doesn't have all these sticks and things in the way and whatever. Like they, right. they want to know that the data is what they think the data is. So that crawl, right. walk, run kind of gets you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's awfully hard to run if you can't crawl. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, last question, Dustin, man, this is going fast. Uh, last question. Yeah. So time flies when you're having fun. I know. I know. You could talk about this all day. <laughs> um, so you, you've done some fantastic things at Masterlock and uh, in the community and specifically around data. And you've a lot of stories you're telling about how to, how to launch that or based on the business ideas and the technical ideas. Right. You know, so right. much of that comes together. You know, tell me a little bit about who's inspired you to be able to right. have that skill set and to engage the way you're engaging. Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. So I will give a shout out actually to, um, I was fortunate enough to grow up with a couple business leaders as parents and uh, being an only child, I, I soaked up, um, you know, all kinds of business expertise from them. And that gave me some of that entrepreneurial mindset that I mentioned um, as I went into kind of the analytics field and some of the more technical work that, that I've done. You know, I felt I've always had an advantage because I've, I've had a little bit more of that business mindset than maybe some others around me. Not everyone, but I think, you know, um, it's just a little bit more of a business mindset. Um, and so I have them to thank for that. Uh, but then today, if I fast forward today, it's really is folks that, you know, are out there doing things like what you guys are doing with Change Agent Podcast, putting themselves out there in the community, explaining, um, you know, what it is they're doing, what things are important, what things people need to be thinking about. I think it's so important to develop um, folks in our field. Um, I think it's it's great in terms of attracting talent to your organization. In fact, I think it's going to be necessary going forward. And then the folks that are doing what's necessary necessary internally as well, once they attract folks um, through the things they're doing externally to, to hold them at their organization um, and just protecting them like none other, because a great analyst, a great analytics professional can make such um, a significant impact on an organization that, um, gosh, you spend so much time attracting them you know, to the organization, you got to spend just as much time um, retaining them. And so um, folks that are doing these things, creating this ecosystem of attracting top talent, doing what's absolutely necessary to retain them, giving them a safe environment. You know, the, the organizational psychologist, Adam Grant, talks about a concept I love, psychological safety, creating psychological safety within teams so that they can be creative and bring forward entrepreneurial ideas. Folks that are doing that kind of stuff, that's who I really look up to, and that's who I'm trying to be uh, myself. And I think we're, we're fortunate that we have folks in the community 
um, that are doing this um, in Milwaukee as well as um, globally. You can find them, you know, online on LinkedIn through podcasts, things like that. But that's the that's the person I'm trying to be now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dustin. That, that's that's super inspiring. And not only the work that you're doing, but also the recommendations of how we can all get better and, and to kind of think about how we can improve um, who we are, what kind of leader we are. Do we allow for that space for our teams to have that kind of psychological safety? I love that term. Um, just awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Awesome. And uh, well, thank you to our, for our uh, guests for coming on this week. And also thanks for our listeners. We're super glad that you joined us this week. And we will see you next time on the Change Agent Podcast. Thank you.